Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the New Evangelicals Podcast. Great to be with you. On this episode of the show, I have Denzel Burnside. Now, this is a very fascinating conversation. Denzel worked in politics for a long time and then uh, transitioned to working with a group called the Dogwood Alliance, trying to protect North Carolina from, get ready, the logging industry that is currently chopping down the forest, repackaging it as wood pellets to sell overseas that is then labeled renewable energy. And we talk a lot about why the environment matters, why his work is important, and why we have to work together to see a better world. This is a really fascinating episode, very different than maybe our normal kind of flow. But man, I really recommend sitting down, putting this on during your drive or wherever you listen to this podcast and really trying to listen because Denzel's story is really powerful and he drops a lot of important, I would argue, golden nuggets, both about politics and how Democrats and Republicans both have their problems and also about the environment. So hang tight. This is a great episode. As always, I want to say thank you so much for being here. Our podcast continues to grow. It's because of listeners. I mean, I I, I am honored that you would listen to my voice in your ears. You can ask my wife. She is glad I do this work so I can vent to you and not to her. So she is grateful for it too. But honestly, it it really means a lot that that you would choose to listen to this podcast over all the other ones at this moment in time. So thank you. If you want to support the show, we are totally crowdfunded. All the work, the organization of T&E, that work that we do on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook communities, Zoom groups, the podcast, everything else is totally crowdfunded. So if you want to donate, you can click on the link in our show notes. You can donate there. It's a tax uh, deduction because we're a nonprofit. So that helps you out. And the money, of course, helps us out. If donating is not in your wheelhouse right now, I totally get it. If you can share this podcast and give us a rating and review, that would also help us so much. And of course, friends, last but not least, this podcast episode is brought to you by our friends at Mad Priest Coffee. They roast amazing coffee in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We love their brand. They pick on evangelical culture in all the right ways, plus their coffee is delicious. You can go to madpriestcoffee.com, type in TNE20 in the um, in the checkout. I was, in, was going to say show notes again like I did a few weeks ago, but no. Uh, you can type TNE20 in the checkout, get 20% off your order. And last thing I will say, we are getting closer and closer to Trip Fuller's Theology Nerd Homebrewed God Pod Edition Beer Camp. And I'm going to be there along with Trip Fuller, Brian McLaren, and so many other amazing people. You can go to the link in our show notes, type in TNE in the checkout for your ticket to get $50 off and hang out with me, Noah, Trip Fuller, Brian McLaren, Diana Butler Bass, and so many other amazing people. Type in TNE in the checkout. Hang out with us in North Carolina, October. 13th through 15th. All right, friends, without further ado, here is my interview with Denzel. Have a great day. Well, I'm actually, I got to say, Denzel, first off, it's great to have you on the podcast. You know, thanks for making time. And um, you reached out to me, I think uh, maybe a month or two ago. And I was like, I asked you a few questions. Like, okay. Tell me a little bit more about yourself, but I only got a snapshot, which I like because I feel like interviews are always better when the host is a little bit in the dark. Cause it makes me want to really unpack you as a human more than as, a, as if, uh, opposed to me already knowing a lot about you. So first I want to say thanks for joining and it's great to have you. Um, I, I do want to start here. 
who are you? Who is Denzel? <laughs> right? I mean, how did you? We talked a little bit before we started recording. How did you grow up? I mean, did you grow up in Christian spaces? What is that journey like? And then what do you do now? Uh, wow, that's deep. It's a lot. Good luck. So let me let me try. Yeah, let me try to compact that. Uh, give you a dope like narrative, right? Because we're supposed to be we're supposed to be storytellers at the core as, as the purveyors of scripture, right? Right. So I'm from Miami, Florida. Uh, Trail Five. You know, Rick Ross, all of that. You know, hip hop music and all of that, right? Um, grew up. Uh, I'm an 80, 82 baby, right? So okay. like, I grew up in the transition to Miami. We all talking about some anybody that came up in Miami that didn't go through the Great Hurricane, Hurricane Andrew, mm. where the whole city got shut down. You're mm. really not a Miamian. So um, I grew up in an intersectional space where, you know, the community demographics was like, you know, next door neighbor was uh, white, next door, other next door neighbor was Cuban, other next door neighbor was Caribbean, you know, grandmother was hard pressed on you, you going to church, parents were corrections officers. So every Sunday, grandma picked me up, I'm in church, you know, just because mom is like, you're going to be there type of thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so you get older, you go off to school, uh, went to Florida A&M University, uh can't had a couple encounters with God, you know, you know, the Sunday school thing is you just there and you're trying to make it work and they guilt you. And I grew up in that Baptist, Southern Baptist mm-hmm. kind of, but it was like low-key Calvinist, which is one of the reasons I kind of got a problem with Calvinism. Cause it was that. like it was just like it, I didn't like the election idea that it was a select group of folks. And it was like that didn't speak to the theology or the message of, or the person I read about when I finally really got a chance to read scripture. So mm. I come back home um, to help out family and all of that, start working. Um, still really not doing the church thing, kind of like in my twenties, if you will. I'm just like throwing money, you know, like I'm doing the whole throw money in the collection plate, the peace guy, kind of like penance. And then I'm out and I'm in the neighborhood and I'm in the club and I'm hanging out with the homies. And, mm. and then um, I lost a lot. I lost a job that I really loved. And then at that moment, I had an encounter with God, honestly. Mm, wow. I, 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 I went to a field. My grandmother was big on, like, she was the praying in tongues, serving you grits in the morning, putting okay. oil on your head, dropping you off to school. Grandma, so she was, like, I was like, well, look, grandma got the relationship. That's all I need. I'll pull mm, off on that. Right. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to figure it out in other areas. And then um, when everything started coming crashing down on my life around 25, uh, you know, job I work for, a house I work for, a car I work for, you know, gave up college career. And now I'm like angry. And you got the family telling you, hey, God is this, God is that, Jesus is this, Jesus is that. What does yeah. that mean? And right. so I go to, so my grandma gave me a, a prophetic secret, I call it. She said, if you ever want to meet with God, if you ever want to have an encounter with God, three, the best time to converse, have a conversation with him, that would be called my family three. They're like, you want to talk with him? Go to uh, meet with him at early in the morning. And I was like, well, what early in the morning? It's like between the hours of four and six. That's when the heavens are still. She gave me some sage wisdom. So I was like, oh, God got appointment hours. Okay, fine. <laughs> I'm going to go meet with him. So four o'clock in the morning, I'm in this field yelling, popping off, you know, asking God questions to the heavens, whatever, whatever. Never heard God speak before. Never at that point really could quantify. And when I got back home, I had a whole encounter of him in my bedroom, like going over everything I said, like, you think I'm playing with you. Mm-hmm. You think it and, it and it it completely from 25 to 30 changed my whole everything, went through crisis units, mental issues, all, just all type of stuff. And then came out on the other side and realized mm-hmm. it was a journey that he put me through, very similar to the apostolic journeys of Paul, Peter and the rest of them. Sure. that he was trying to bring me to a table. So. In the midst of that, right, while I was going through kind of those, quote unquote, mis- uh, men- mental challenges and yeah. spiritual awakenings, as, as they call them, um, I had a best friend. I have a best friend who um, was in politics. His, his name is uh, Senator Dwight Bullock. His, his, his dad was actually my middle school principal. 
And his mom was like the community mom. Like okay. when, when our community in South Bay got completely decimated by Hurricane Andrew, they said it would never come back. She and other senators and legislators like really fought to get the resources in mm. South Miami Day so that we could have a normalcy of life. And they did it in like less than five years. So I was the guy in the neighborhood who knew folks because my family was from the community and played on the ball, played Optimus football in the park and just connected. Yeah. And um, when he ran for office and I just saw the pressures going through, I just said, well, I can take my skill sets from working at Royal Caribbean or marketing or whatever and leveling them over. And that's kind of how I got into this. I just started off volunteering. Honestly, I started off, OK, well, I'll I'll put some signs up for you, you know, mm-hmm. and then, OK, I'm going to the barbershop. I'll talk to a couple of people for you. And then, mm-hmm. OK, and then it just evolved from there. And then before I knew it, I found myself paralleling certain skill sets into this world. Yeah. And, um, you know, it just kind of happened. So I ended up working on um uh, the the uh working for New Florida Majority, which is now Florida Rising. Um, I ended up working on an FDP campaign because he ran for FDP chair. I ended up working with Debbie Mikrasau Powell for Congress. I ended up working for uh State Senator Annette Tadeo, who I think at this point was is attempting to run for governor or she's in the race for governor. I end up um working um on the petition i actually was proud of was the uh, restoration of rights campaign which gives second chance citizens an opportunity to vote again which was controversial in florida and um that when you was say a- when you say second chance citizens you mean people who were incarcerated and who get released yeah folks oh. who were incarcerated that was that's the language they use so those i who love that language Second yeah, chance citizens. That's so good. Citizens. And that was completely actually the thing is that shout out to Devs and me. That was actually mm. put together specifically with a faith center, huh. you know, so it wouldn't be like part. It was it was supposed to be bipartisan. So it was supposed to be Republican Dems. Just we got these folks coming home. Right. You know, everybody got a family member or somebody who's got locked up, did whatever they paid, whatever they needed to the state give them back their right to be able to vote. And mm. so I ran that campaign in South Bay through all the faith communities. And then I got asked to kind of join the social justice minister table um, around the year that Andrew Gellum ran for office and all that went around that. And and, and that was kind of just helping to uh, do that. So it just kind of evolved, if you will, all while me really, really trying to understand and follow God and really figure out who Jesus was for me. And, and I had a faith leader, you know, who, uh, who lives here in North Carolina. His name is Apostle Robert Covington. And how it got me to North Carolina was I COVID went down in 2018, right? I was well, no, 2020. So right. I, I walked away from my last campaign in 2018. I was done with politics. I was like, I'm gonna go actually try to work on my finances. I want to be a bankster. I was like, I'm gonna do that. <laughs> Had some things happen. Some people came to me and said, run for office. I was like, I'm not on that. I just wanna do something else. And so 2020, I was kind of in a place to run for a position. And then I was just kind of like couch surfing, staying with friends. And then I left South Florida and came up here in uh, last year, August. And I just was driving around with him. He was doing revivals. And then um, I heard a word from God up here and said, just stay. And I was like, well, all right, God, if you want me to stay, then you got to provide me work. Because at that point, I was just doing all my ministry on Clubhouse. And Mm -hmm. I I wanted to be done with that, the way I was doing it. Um, And so then I said, "Okay, fine. And um, I applied for a job with the organization I work with now, Dogwood Alliance. And I didn't call any favors and nothing. I just, I'm going to go through the interview process for what it was. And they picked me up as the North Carolina campaign manager. And so I've been working with them. It's been a, it'll be a year next month. And um, I, my, the work that I do with them, which I love is issue-based campaigns. We focus on BIPOC communities, uh, black indigenous people of color who have these wood pellet plants in the communities, basically like a biomass fuel that they cut down the trees and they ship them over to the UK as energy, as they call a renewable energy source. But trees, in my opinion, aren't renewable because it takes so long to grow them. 
Right. So um, it's 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 probably now the first time in a long time that I really, really am happy in the work that I do, because I come from gun violence. I come from burying dead kids. I come from mothers crying on my shoulder, snotty noses, pop, yelling at politicians, yelling at community folks, yelling at dudes in the neighborhood. Like how many how many money, how many more of our kids got to die because y'all want to show who the baddest man in the parking lot? You know, mm. so. This is me, man. Like I did more funerals in my first year of ministry. I did one, I've done one wedding. I've been, I would have say officially been in been in ministry uh probably 10 years. I'm 39. So yeah, nine years. I've done one wedding in my entire time as a minister. I did probably more funerals than I can count for kids all under 21. So that's my I hope I cleaned it up. That's my story. <laughs> Wow. Um, okay. Thanks for sharing all that, uh, Denzel. It's always good to know where someone comes from. You mentioned while you were talking that that you decided you wanted to be done with politics. What? 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 Why? Like, why did you want to be done with politics? And what? What in politics were you doing that made you say, "I'm out"? Was it like the cor- corruption? I mean, I'm thinking about 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 the stereotypical things I hear or would think about. You know, was it that it was dirty? Like, what? What was it about politics for you where you're like, "Nah, I'm done with this." So, you know, both of us are men of God, right? And we try every day to lift up, you know, this text, right? We try to lift up and live as best as possible. And I love what you guys do with deconstruct. I didn't even know that was a thing you could do. (laughs) Me either until I started this work. (laughs) I didn't know. I didn't like, because I I haven't gone to the academy. I I actually was considering possibly going. I'm looking at maybe Duke or somewhere else. But I didn't know you really could. Per se, I just thought what I was doing was just asking questions and reading scripture and Same. checking out commentaries and yeah, yeah. seeing where I spit on the side of certain particular issues and just saying, I'm going to just trust the Holy Spirit. 100%. And so, so now the question is, is like, if you're a, and this is not disrespect to anybody who's actually going off to war, but the way I put it in my mind is a campaign is a type of war, right? And so if you are doing that, right, how do you, quote unquote, not murder? Right. Mm, right. How do you like if you like, you know, what I'm saying like this is a real like if I got if I'm a Marine, if I'm a Navy SEAL, if I'm and I'm being tasked to defend my nation, not truly love God. How do you tell somebody who's tasked to defend the people, quote unquote, not to kill or murder? And those are very, you know, lucid lines. Right. So for me, the work that we do, it may not be murder with like a blunt instrument, but it is murder of words. Mm. It's murder. It's gossip of people's soul. Like. There's type of camp. There's certain campaign campaigns, and you know you see the hit ads that come out, and they'll start off going on issue, and then they'll go for the person's character, and it's like how far do you go? Right. How? And so for me, sitting in the space on the dim side and on the Republican side, but on the dim side, I started recognizing like what the Republicans do publicly, Dems do privately, mm. and it was like yo, like, and then at least for me, you know, not that I take either side because you know historically me and the black man in america is a lot that comes with that both right. parties have an answer that they have to give to you know to this to, to our community it, it just was right. like how do we live okay like if i'm standing on this side of the table and we're talking about we're fighting for the social safety net fight for the 15 um green issues everybody gives a voice at the table but you really just saying that like a t-shirt but you don't mean that in truth and indeed how do i you know what I'm saying? Like, how do I? And then for me, if I got to go before God, I got to always look at it. If I got to go before God, if he asks me right now and I have my check in shower sanctuary moment, and I'm like, and he's like, Denzel, what are you doing? And we already know when he asked a question, he already knows the answer. He's just looking to see what you say. I can't justify it. Mm. I couldn't justify it any longer. I couldn't justify the hit pieces. I couldn't justify. I was like, who am I even fighting for? You know what I'm saying? Like, it became yeah. those type of questions. And while I thought I was loaning myself to certain individuals, 
who I believed in, when I started spending more and more time around them, I'm like, yeah, I can't even ride for you no longer. I, I mm. can't, I can't, I gotta, I can't, I'm not putting my sword on you, man. I'm, huh. I'm, I'm like a Ronin at this point. I, 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 I'll take the Ronin <laughs> route. I can't be in family. But that's how I looked at it. So if you don't mind, if, if I could just pick your brain on this, because I'm just going to shoot straight with you, you know, like kind of where I'm, I, I feel um, stuck with some of this, you know, being a white evangelical growing up in, in those spaces, homeschooled and, and everything, you know, 2016 for me was a moment with Trump where I just said, oh my goodness, like, I, I, I don't know how my culture, right, how white evangelicals are just like falling, they're just head over heels for this guy, it just grew over time. And yeah. a lot of people who are listening probably are like, Hey, like I, I want universal health care. We should take care of the planet, right? And then when you start talking like that, you inevitably kind of get thrown in the more democratic side of our politics. But a lot of us are like, well, I'm not saying I'm like a, a you know, a, a Biden flag waving like loyalist, right? But also yeah. I, I can't stay with what's happening with Trump and, and the, honestly, in my word, in my experience, the fascism we're seeing from, from, from that side. But you're also saying like, listen, man. Sometimes, not maybe not everyone, but but there's problems on 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 the on Both the left. Sides. You're right. So what 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 in your experience, based on what you know, I'm sure you thought about it. Like, what's the way forward? Because I feel like that is that is hopeless to me. <laughs> I, I, what are your I, thoughts? I you know, it's funny. So like, if you do fascism on the right, then you have to acknowledge socialism or extreme socialism on the left, right? Mm-hmm. And I am. I, I kind of have the Ray Dalio opinion, you know, the hedge fund manager. He wrote a book called Principles. I'm terrified of populist movements mm. on both sides, because historically, when you start to look at like, I believe like as crazy as this is for all the stuff as a black man from the South, you know, who's like I was staying in Wilmington. If you know the history of Wilmington, it's very much like Tulsa, Black Wall Street, mm. very much like mm. Rosewood. And they don't talk about the history. And that whole place was ran by black Republicans because mm. the Republican Party gave most a lot more acceptance at that point. Because at that point, but they were the party of, of Lincoln. It was a different concept. Right. Right. And the Democratic Party, by most standards, held to working class white folks, you know, and whatever. And so you have this, you know, complete and total shift of ideologies. And that's a whole historical thing with that. Right. Um, in the South, you know, the Nixon era, the Reagan era. Yes, and, exactly. And and so for me, and it's funny because if you talk to black reverends or just black and white reverends, like we liberal about certain things, like, you know, but finding as fine as our like tax base and whatever, we conservative about that, right? Like, no, nah, we don't want to. And if we are going to spend more, we want to be able to see where the directly this goes. So it begins to be a quagmire. And I'm of the opinion that there's more gray than mm-hmm. there is more polarization. But because we have not as the country is now dealing with four generations on the planet, probably for maybe five, really, if you deal with it for the first time ever that are all trying to figure out where the lane is, right? The the largest group of leaders in in all politics is baby boomers still, Mm, right? Right. Largest population demographics is millennials and some generation Xs. Then you got disease and whatever I think comes after that, right? I think they're called alphas now. That that's like my two-year-old, right? Like those, those it is weird. it's (laughs) It's a weird thing. So, so now you have this complete and total, you know, good old boy system that is being challenged by folks who are saying, you kept us out for so long and now we want seats at the table right. and we're trying to come and get a seat at the table, whether it's in the Republican vein, the Democratic vein. 
And when you get us in these spaces, you really, really just trying to play, you know, use us as pawns to get your own right. personal agenda along. So right. I, I don't know. I can't give you a direct answer. I chose issue based this season because I was like, if I always think about it like this, if I had to get my last breath, I want to be able to say, God, I did the best I could with what you gave me. Yeah, I, I right. tell everybody I work with, like, you look, I work for God first. Mm. You need to know that mm. you second. So right. if you do something that goes contrary to my moral compass, you know what I'm saying, that I can't justify because I believe there's wartime efforts and then there's peacetime efforts. Mm. I'm not going to strike down somebody in peacetime when we in wartime and vice versa. Right. But I think what needs to happen is there's a, a true we we got to acknowledge the the cultural war politics of fear that yeah. is I, I never understood like I watched the documentary on Reagan and somehow right for all the things that Reagan did it's like my republican friends like forget that this dude yeah he shrunk your taxes but a year later it exasperated and this is how you got hyperinflation right, right? like there's this we 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 did this wrong thing we pushed past it and then on the dim side, it's like you don't define your victories and really, really stay within your spelt, your scope of reach. Right. And so you got two folks pulling the wagon that's going nowhere. And I, yeah, I because I, I think about someone like Nancy Pelosi. Right. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm I'm not a fan. I mean, I think that, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of shady. She, she in my opinion, she's a career politician, too. Right. But yeah. then I think about how, like, it seems like in this particular moment, I'm not saying uh, I'm not saying every single moment in history, but right now, if my choice is, do we storm the Capitol building based on a lie, right? Or do we deal with like, po- you know, typical po- political corruption? If those are my only two crappy choices, I guess I'll take political corruption if I can still survive in America, right? I just feel like that's how I feel, where it's like, wow, well, if one option is overthrow the government and the other option is maybe some insider trading, they both are terrible. But if I had to pick one, you know, and that, that's why I feel stuck. That was, I don't want to be that way. I, yeah. I don't, especially as new evangelicals, we get accused all the time. Oh, you're just the other side of the far right. It's like, we're not trying to be that. We're just trying to expose what is happening in in these spaces steeped in evangelical culture, but at the same time, like you so well said, I, I don't want to, you know, become like the opposite extreme uh, of, of like, you know, fundamentalism all over again. Right. And that's why I was so mm-hmm. torn, especially politically. I, you know, it's, you know, like, it's funny because I see these banners of coming after wokeness now is the thing uh, that I yeah, keep yeah. seeing coming out of the far right. And um, it's like, how do we, but yet then it, you know, when the thing went down with Trump, you see these same folks, some of the folks that you went after, um, now they're over here talking about defund the police, defund right, the yeah. FBI. Defund the FBI. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, wait, that wait, wait, <laughs> wait isn't a that copyright infringement? Y'all like y'all went down for that last week. Uh, I, wait a minute, I'm, I'm confused. Wait, yeah. it's good now. We can right, do that. Right. Like right. It's, it's crazy to me. So I'm like yeah. looking at you know Candace Owens and Marjorie Green, and I'm right, like, right, right. Wait a minute, like no, like and, this, and, then, yeah. and then here goes the history, right? If people really study history, when Nixon situation went bad, yes, his colleagues said, "We walking over to the White House, Mr. President. You need to resign." That's right. Like, where are the John McCain ride or die Republicans that you was like, "Yeah, I, I would ride for." Like, where are right. those like old good old boy conservative standing in the paint Republican? Did you, I look? I had problems with George Bush, sure. but right now I'll take a George Bush. Uh, right. I take Herbert Walker. Right. And, and, I, and I listen, I know we, we didn't plan on parking here for a minute and, and we'll move on to your actual work in a second. But while we're on the topic, 
I, I very much feel that sentiment. And I think about, I think it's Liz Cheney and Adam Kingtinger, two Republicans on the January 6th committee. You know, they're pretty much in danger of losing their positions because the conservative, like the GOP as a whole, I, and again, I, I know people might listen to, the, listen to this who maybe would, would not agree with this are, are going to say, well, this is you just being extreme. But, but there's also reality. And it's very evident that what Trump did in 2016 really shifted the, the in particular, the right wing party further right like we have actual data on this like samuel perry a leading sociologist has shown in his data that 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 a lot of liberals want to be more moderate and a lot of right-wing people want to be more farther right right and so and so we, we've seen this shift we see how mtg marjorie taylor green what she was saying three years ago was oh that's so fringe is now you know charlie kirk is reciting the same talking points and i'm seeing some white evangelical theologians recite those talking points so certainly we've shifted and what concerns me is that there really is no good other option besides what I feel like, like, like you said, is compromise. And I, I, I don't want to be about that, but I'm also a realist. Anyway, I'm, I'm in my head, but you get my no, point. No, you know? no, no, no. It's a, it's an honest question. I think you're wrestling with a lot of what everybody is wrestling with. Like, I'll give you one case. Like, I don't have it for left or right, right? So right, in, right. we have to stand your ground situation, right? Mm. A lot of people don't know that... Um, uh, Miguel Diaz Del, Del, Del Portia, forgive me if I mess his name up. We had a we had a round table with him. He was over that committee that tabled that bill every time it came up. Right here's a Latino, you know, Republican mm. that essentially is you know dealing with you know the white you know Northerners in the state saying who were basically saying if the bill came up they were by the lobbying corps going to vote for it. Like you knew it was a bad bill. You knew it didn't make sense. But because of your enshrined indoctrination and here's this man saying, well, fine, you know what? I don't agree with it, but I'm going to table the bill and then he would die. Right. Lost position. Then all of a sudden now what it was castle doctrine becomes stand your ground, mm. which now opens up what we now see as the Trayvon Martin situation. Right. 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 And then it's like, well, wait a minute. How can we not like, you know, and, and then if you knew, remember in the state, we had the Casey Anthony situation mm. where she killed and in, in, inside the Capitol folks was like they wanted to, you know, they, they came up with laws, legislation. We never want to see this happen again. Blah, 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 blah. But then when it's come down to moral sensibility of what makes sense. Oh, well, you know, the, the the question was when Trayvon went down, the law happens and it works as it's supposed to happen. Yeah. But then when it's on your side of the table, it's not the same conversation. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so yeah. that's where it becomes a challenge because I I am like, I, be, I believe in the union. I, maybe I'm one of them crazy dudes who believe in the U.S. <laughs> Constitution, even though I wasn't a part of it at the time it was being written. Mm, mm. I believe in the idea of this democracy if we can keep it a republic. I believe right. that I think there's something dope about the American story when you look at it through a historical lens and, yeah. you know, whites, blacks, Hispanics, Latinos, groups all working together to come to a place. And I believe that, you know, you should never bet against America to Warren Buffett's point. But where we are right now, historically, right, really, really, this is like if we don't figure it out, this could be the end of a quote unquote empire like Rome. We're mm -hmm. doing the exact same mistakes they made at the end of their age because we don't want to centralize and deal with our internal issues. It right. was an, an internal problem that destroyed every empire biblically that we see as well as extra biblically. Yeah. And we're right there now. So yeah. I don't have an answer for you, man. I, I just believe that you got to get behind and find the areas and the causes like, you know, that you believe in and the people that have some sense. I always try to find any candidate I work with. Do you, will you listen? Mm. Truly listen. 
Like, don't give me the like, no, when you listen, when you perceive, and when you consider it, you're wrong. Right. If I don't see those characters right or left, I don't work with you. Yeah. Don't yeah. work with you. So talk to me about the Dogwood Alliance. What is that? You mentioned, I think, uh, pellets, like like wood pellets. I, I I was a little lost on that part. So break this down for me. What is the Dogwood Alliance and then what do you do for them? So Dogwood Alliance essentially is a nonprofit in North Carolina based out of Asheville. Started, oh, Asheville. Um, okay. Yeah, based out of Asheville, North Carolina. Started by some really cool folks. Leader, uh, executive director right now is uh, uh, Dana. Uh, and she we uh, we basically focus on uh, the kind of started off as deforestation, dealing with um, like staples and all the tree, uh, the, the paper planker mills that were in the state, trying to get them to stop essentially cutting the trees and so forth. Wait, now, can, we, can we stop right there really quick so I understand? You're saying that in, in North Carolina, in Asheville in particular, maybe a lot of these bigger paper companies are coming in and trying to clean up all, all the trees to use for paper. Is that correct? As, a, as the whole of North Carolina, like the global South has yeah. a, actually does more deforestation. While we look at like Brazil yeah. and we look at those areas, we like actually have larger, stuff. Yeah, we have a larger deforestation issue happening right here in the global South, which includes, of course, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, Tennessee, uh, Georgia, uh, Mississippi. And really? Florida. Yeah. And it, it's more. mostly paper companies or is it all kinds it, of companies? It, it used to be it used to be more paper companies. They converted. But now we're dealing with the emergence of a newer industry, uh, which is uh, essentially the wood pellet industry in their in their oh, area. That's right. Like barbecues and stuff. Right. You can get like barbecues or a wood pellet or wood pellet stoves. Yeah, so those are those are a type of the ones they that you see, but the ones that the that the wood pellet industry that we deal with, they essentially cut those down and they use those for fuel over in the UK, and it's considered uh, renewable energy. That's the sound of me prepping the grill with Reynolds Wrap, and the sound of me not doing dishes, and the sound of me spending more time outside with my family. Easy prep, cook, and clean. Make time with Reynolds Wrap. I like the sound of that. Hi, Phil Swift here for new Flex Super Glue. What's truly amazing is that our Flex Super Glue is so strong that just one drop virtually welds itself to the surface and can lift over three tons. Forget those old Super Glues, get the one that's new Flex Super Glue. Go to flexsealproducts.com forward slash three ton lift to learn more about how one drop lifted three tons. For demonstration purposes only. Wait a second. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to repeat this back mm-hmm. for the audience, make sure I'm I'm capturing what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You're telling me that what's happening is there are the, the the newest, you know, deforestation trend, if you will, is these larger companies that will come in, they'll convert the they'll chop down trees, make them into wood pellets, sell them overseas to the UK, and those people will advertise it as a renewable energy source. Yes, sir. But the, yes, I would sir. imagine because trees take so long to grow, probably I'm assuming you know decades, if not hundreds of years, that it's a, it's maybe one of the most technically true, but also in practicality, not renewable energy sources. Is, is that correct? Uh, that's and that you just hit it right on the head. That's so that's what we're and, <laughs> like and technically, and, you know, like yeah, we'll grow back in a hundred years. <laughs> and here goes the other side, right? So the Clean mm. Energy Act or Clean Energy Bill that's being proposed, essentially being lifted up. It actually is written in there and they have this as a benchmark for renewable energy. So this industry, yes, is completely subsidized by federal and state provisions to operate. So you got these guys coming from Europe, basically building plants in these areas. I represent or Dogwood directly represents about five counties in eastern North Carolina. We have a coalition called Impacted Communities Against Wood Pellets. 
okay. that all have wood pellet plants in them. And now you're dealing before COVID went down. You had, you know, air pollution going on. You had complete total clear cutting. Now, the way they get away with it is they don't own the land. Ninety percent of the land in the, in the global south is owned by white landowners, right? So what they do is they say, well, we don't own the land. These people sell us the trees. They farm people farm trees. We farm trees. Right. They cut them down. They bring them here. We cut them. We we package them up. We send them up. We put them on ships. Send them overseas, right? But you know, there's so much that comes with that, right? So there's a there's a new plant being proposed in the area called Ohoski, um, that we're going to kind of deal with on Tuesday. And this is kind of the work that I'm trying to present. Now, if you to give you a little bit more context around North Carolina politics, right? If yeah, you know great. anything about the hog industry in North Carolina. Uh, we don't. We know nothing. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so the hog industry was a complete and total pollution mill, essentially. In, in, when you in say the- hog, you mean like pigs, like bacon industry, pork industry? Okay. Yeah. Got it. Right now, same thing. People were farming need, farm, farming hogs and all of that, and they were creating additional waste. And of course, that all got into rivers and there was some bills that had to get passed, some lawsuits that was passed. Whole problem. This is now in a way kind of becoming the new type of hog industry issue that took place. And that was a complete and total nightmare for North Carolina. Mm. So now that's that's what we're doing. But there's plants in Georgia. There's plants in Mississippi, plants in Louisiana, some that border in Florida. And of course, uh, uh, Virginia, as well as uh, North Carolina is where I focus my primary work. And my work is um, I'm I'm the campaign manager. I focus more on policy and I do some lobbying specifically for these communities and trying to present new legislation and get the legislature here, which is completely Republican at this point um, with a a, a good Democratic governor to um, be more energy and clean. Uh, plowable, if that makes sense. So let me ask you a couple, maybe just like questions that came up as you were talking mm-hmm. on that. I'm just kind of curious about. So one of them is you mentioned that in the new, um, the new act that just got passed, I think by Biden, mm-hmm. right? The mm-hmm. uh, sustainability act. You mentioned mm-hmm. that, that, that this wood pellet farming is kind of built into it. Um, is it like a free for all or did the government, like, are there experts who are like, Hey companies for this to be sustainable, you can only harvest so much a year. Like I know like in the fishing industry, right? There, there, there's all kinds of regulations now. Like in the, I, I watched the, the, the reality show Wicked Tuna, right? Outer oh, okay, Banks, right? Okay, okay, and so, okay. so they have a quota and once that's met, that's it. You cannot fish anymore to keep the ecosystem going. Are there those kinds of rules in place here for the, these industries or is it just a free for all? Is it like, hey, go to town. Good luck. That's the whole, that's the problem. No, mm. there isn't. And wow. we just met with, we, we just like met, an oversight. Like it, there's no oversight. That's the thing. Like, that's the Weird. problem. Like there's no oversight. Like the issue we're fighting here in North Carolina is that we met with the commerce department. North Carolina actually has a department in environmental quality. There, the, the, the North Carolina's legislature general assembly is probably one of the strongest in the country. Like they are very, they're very close to like, they want to operate like a decentralized government, very much like Texas. Mm. Like we're going to allow for good industry, quote unquote. And so when we met with these folks, we were like, look, you got to be scrutinizing who's coming to do business in your state on some level, right? Like there should be some oversight, there should be some conversation. Mm -mm. And the way they get away with it, Tim, is what makes it so cold and callous is they don't own the land. So their argument is, well, we don't own the land. We just own the plant. And these people bring to us these trees and we cut them. But if you're living in a neighborhood where they're running 24-7 and you're sleeping right next to that, 
and you're breathing in that air, right? Because that hope in the trees and all that that's in the air. These communities, we're, we're working on trying to do a community study. They have had uh, COVID like related issues before COVID. Asthma was up the wazoo in these areas, right? And so, like, this is like like environmental. Like, I know everybody has a thing about environment, but it's like who? Like, we saw what happened in Flint, and this is the other side of it. It's like we do conservation work mostly within white communities. But why is it that you're okay with having, they got trees too. They got dogwood trees too. They got all of the mm. same things, but you won't put those plants in those communities because they have a stronger economic defense. So you will put them to the Eastern side of the state where there are more black indigenous communities. So, so you're saying, again, I'm, I'm repeating what you're saying to make sure I'm capturing it accurately and that the audience understands what you're saying is that uh, if one of these big companies wants to come into um, maybe a more white dominated area they are better resourced and better mobilized to defend themselves and say no like walmart you can't plant your building here so they'll move to uh, a, a more um, black populated area where maybe the the economic wealth is not there to defend or maybe the mobilization isn't there or the communication isn't there to let people know what's happening so they can kind of make it happen there is that what you're saying that's exactly the classic move it's like we go where and the argument is, well, you know, we're bringing jobs. Right. But I was going to ask you that. Like, is this like a jobs versus the environment situation? Like, talk that, me about that. That's the argument is that we're bringing jobs and that um, we, we're making the state money. And our executive director always says that if people were making money off trees, then North Carolina would be the richest state in the country. <laughs> and it's just not a true narrative. It's not a true narrative for what it what it's doing in the, the long term casual effects that we're now starting to see. You know, like whether people want to acknowledge it or not, I don't know if you know, also one of the most embarrassing things as I got here, North Carolina actually passed a bill that said that we could not consider science in any of the um, bill considerations for anything. Wait, I'm sorry. You have to unpack that for me. Uh, there's a law in North Carolina that says you can't use like your data or research to determine like how these things operate. How, like, how environmental I, I, impacts affect infect the business hold on i gotta be honest that sounds almost too over the top is this propaganda you're giving me i mean is it honestly what are you serious let me i'll i'll send you the article send me the article and i'll put it in our show notes that's what i'll do uh, that was a whole i found that out from my dd because like i said i'm still a year into the state and she told me i am shook he was like, "D, you did you?" I was like, "What? What?" I, right, said, I, right. I remember it being a blurb, and I was like, "She's like, she's like, we were the laughing state." You know, I'm from Florida, so Florida's always a laughing state. So when she said that, I was like, "Are you serious?" And she was like, "Yes." Like it's it was a whole thing that they literally put it out that they you could not consider science as it relates to impacts on industry. And so I was does like, does that happen because you mentioned that that that, that you've lobbied before? Is that because mm-hmm. there are other lobbyists lobbying for those kinds of legislators that are um, moves that that represent a big big industry, big wood? I, I'm not sure what the actual term is, but you know those those comp- is that how that happens? Yeah, I mean, look, the the we're fight. So this is the this is the weird divide on the right and the left, right? Yeah, tell on, me on the on the right, we're fighting industrial logging, hugest lobbying core ever, right? They got billions of dollars, right? Um, because wood is is a strong industry, right? Sure. And so yeah, then, we use it all uh, the time. And, then, and then on the left, and what's funny, I use the right hand left, but on the left, you know what I'm saying? We, we are kind of fighting special interests and these kind of like can condensed package incentivize, you know, programs that they come in with that still don't really get to the issue. 
So it's like this quagmire between both sides of the of the table. And it's like, yo, we, we kind of need y'all to like see where this is. So yes, while I may be a lobbyist for community employed through Dogwood as a campaign manager and so forth to do that work, there are folks who get multi-million dollars to be in the Capitol, to be working those rooms all day, all night, you know, bringing this thing around and and trying to help help their corporation special interests get what they want. Out well, of I'm sure you're also getting paid millions of dollars, right? I mean, you're a lot. <laughs> As a lobbyist for the people of North Carolina, I'm sure you're loaded. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's that's that's, that's what I do this for. Right. Yeah, I get I get I get tons of dollars. I got a Bentley parked outside. I'm Same, bro. Out this yeah. whole new evangelicals thing is one big grift to become a millionaire, you know? Yeah, that's what it is. That's that's what we do this for. We do this to get billions of I became uh, a rev because I wanted to get paid super paid. I wanted to be amen. I wanted to be Creflo and, and yeah, them boys. I, I wanted that money. I wanted I wanted people to just rain me with money. That's, uh, that's what it was. No. You know, it's interesting you talk about uh, uh, that's really funny by the way, but it's it's interesting you talk about you know, there is this again. It's amazing how how narratives are so deep seated in 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 our current political climate. Because you talk about environmental anything, and like if you are a Republican who likes Trump, like you just think Marxism. I don't know how he'll make that connection, but they do, right? And and what people fail to realize is that the environment is not just about us protecting quote unquote Mother Nature, right? It's not. I mean, there's a I can make, I think, a very biblical and healthy argument that we should protect the, the environment just because. But if you're going to even go deeper, at, at a minimum, because it impacts you, it impacts the air we breathe, it impacts other people, right? And 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 so it's interesting because I um, I live in New Jersey. New Jersey is a very big, especially North Jersey, very big uh, pharmaceutical industry. A lot of other industries are here. Um, and my my uh, my parents grew up in, in a town called Saraville and there was a big a DuPont plant. They made Teflon there, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and that area has a big outbreak of cancer. My, my grandpa oh, passed away from cancer. My grandma did. And they found like some studies over time that like, yeah, people in this area due to what du- DuPont was polluting in the environment really, you know, I'm not sure they made an official link, but there was this, you know, increased, there were, there were more health problems than maybe normal in the state. And so I agree with what you're saying where it's like, you know, this whole jobs argument, A, if they don't pay fairly, it's not even, it's not worth having the job, right? If you're working 30 hours, you know, um, or, or whatever it is, you know, 12 hour a day for 10 bucks an hour, you know, it's like, okay, there's that side of it. But also the pollutant is also killing the person doing the job. Like it, 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 it's a double whammy. Is that kind of, of what's happening here with the logging industry? And that's essentially, at least within this, I can't speak to the whole of what the logging industry, but to this specific yeah, right. area and arena. Yeah. Like we have a uh, we 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 brought we did a fellowship this season and we brought in somebody from Mississippi because there's a plant down there, and she literally um, has like extreme I don't know what they call it but like asthma whatever because of what you what we just talked about like you're you're talking about these things being these trees being cut they didn't put filters in matter of fact the the plants that are here in North Carolina the only reason they put filters in is because they got hit with complaints over and over and truck covers because they're supposed to have those trucks covered when they come through because it's flying, you know, the the embers and stuff in the air. So what they'll say is, well, you know, they pride themselves on in their plants. You know, we um, never had a COVID outbreak because, but you have to wear a mask all the time. So of course, you know, you, you wouldn't have per se a COVID outbreak, but you're exposing these people who are coming out and they got the ash on them on a regular basis. 
and they're essentially breathing. I'm looking at this in the next few years very much like what happened with the coal industry, where you're mm. going to have those same type of like. And look, I, you know, I remember the arguments with the coal industry. You're talking about seven, eight generation coal miners. You know what I'm saying? But like when you look at the family legacy, your granddaddy died like before he hit 40. Mm. You're, you're, you know what I'm saying? Your dad, like there's a health trend in here that you have to pay attention to. But it's we want the industry, we want the industry, we want the industry. But the industry is killing you. Right. You know, now I think, and this is where I would say fair governance, there should be, if you're going to pull away, like, because I look at it almost like an addiction. If you're going to pull somebody away from this thing, right. then you got to be able to shift them to something else. Sure, right? sure, sure. And that's where I think, you know, the, the lack of ingenuity or creativity comes in from political leaders. Because I don't believe we, I still, I'm very big on free markets and stuff. I don't believe per se governments can create jobs. I do believe they can create the Petri dish in the environment, right? Yeah. Where people want to do and work and come and, and, and facilitate, but you have to set the rules. Right. So you have, yeah, you have to be a fair ref and make sure that, that, that there's balance here. Be a fair referee, man. Make sure everybody stays in the rules. And if somebody comes like, if I came, you know, just hypothetically, like if I came to your house and I decided I was going to come to your house and I was going to dispatch your house and I was going to come in dirty and I was going to, you know, churn, you know, ch- you know, you know, leave mess everywhere. You wouldn't want me in your house. So if we can relate it that simply, why can't we relate that to industries that come into our environment that poison water? Right. Literally right. Totally. that touch our land. Right. And we all like I, every person I know when I tell them I don't care on the right and left. I'm like, yeah, I fight for the environment. Since I fight for you. They're like, what? Why is dope? And because everybody likes to go fishing, right? Totally. People, everybody likes to go. There's some folks who like to go hunting, right? Right. If you don't got no trees to go be able to track down a deer, what you gonna right. do? If there's no deer to hunt, what's the point? There's no deer to hunt. Like, right. and that's what we're seeing. Like, you're you're seeing complete shifts and changes in environment. So, right. I I I I I I I didn't know. You know, especially there's a book um I'm reading now about the U.S. black farmers. Oh, um, and it, it's it's extremely interesting because you know they just passed, they just got uh awarded not too long ago for being historically pushed out from any of the subsidies and resources that were given by the U.S. government, right? So you know, for me, this is kind of like a reconnection and a kind of a like a coming home to some areas that you know my grandfather was from Cordell, Georgia, and he always talked about how he hated you know working in the field, you know, and right. so he came to South Florida. To build a business and so forth and so like my grandfather was from the Bahamas, so he was big on like mm, I ain't doing we ain't doing that labor work. So to right. me to come back and be a part of this and see and try to help these communities and it's not just black folks, it's black folks, white folks, Hispanic folks. Right. This affects a lot. And I, there's a there's a, an indigenous community that you know we're fighting with the Maharan tribe, and you know these folks have been historically oppressed out of mm. certain areas. You know, mm. so it's it's I I don't understand personally. You know, when I listen to faith leaders, you know, on either side of the aisle, like, you know, when you look at scripture and you lift it up, God gave unto Adam right to till, right? He gave unto him to be a steward over the earth. Now, however that got shifted into what you defined for me (laughs) as dominion uh, theology, as like, we got to go out here like, like conquistadors and take from everything. Right. I don't know. Right. (laughs) But, you know, but that's what it is. We should be and we're going to have to give an account at some point in time before Jesus, if we say we believe in him. Right. Or what we have done and not done. 
So that's yeah. this is what I do. This is what I try to do. This is my little salt and light. I don't know. I may I may do some electoral stuff again if I find the right person. I, I think I like the local thing a little bit more, but we'll see. Well, it's interesting because even before I quote unquote deconstructed, right, or or whatever it was, even when I was very well established in evangelical spaces, I always thought like it's so weird that evangelicals um don't aren't more passionate about just being good stewards of the earth. Now, I think some of this might come down to the belief that, you know, it's all going to burn one day, so who cares, um, et cetera. But, but, you know, until that day in their minds happens, people exist now and they're, you know, we have to take care of the environment we have because we only have one. We only have one environment. And when, when this becomes problematic, it's, it's really hard, maybe impossible to, to start healing it. Um, one of my questions I was going to ask you is, is there a way for these industries to do this work without destroying the environment and to make it sustainable? Or is it just like, hey, this particular type of work, it's no matter how we think about it, no matter what they do, it's it's always going to be damaging more than it is helpful to society and to our environment. There's no I I I'm new to this space for real. Like I said, environmental justice for me was, you know, South Florida. And maybe you saw what took place with the building falling. On Surfside, mm, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I know people from that area, right? Wow. So these, so these were my fears, right? It was like literally Florida's, like South Florida, sinking into the ocean, right? right? Right. So to now come here, you know, elevated terrain, beautiful, you know, you can look outside the window and see all this greenery, and to like go to areas and see like seven football fields of just complete barren clear cuts, and then think like North Carolina gets hit with hurricanes as well. What happens now, and then you have rising flood zones, and you don't have the trees revised. So there's so much around this that we don't even talk about. Uh, the fence for you know being able to cut down wind patterns, right? Um, protections, you know, for housing. Just so much that happens. Let alone oxygen. But we, don't, right, right, you know, and then right. then we don't. The, the time that it takes. Some of these trees have been here since you know this before the inception of the state. Right. So how right. long does it take for you to be able to get those back? It, it, it's it's just not with all of the resources that we have now to be able to figure out other ways. And like I said, the only area that is doing this is directly in Europe. Like they are the ones who are the mass grabbers of this industry. And so there's it serves no other purpose other than to supply their energy needs, which we have. We have, I have some great colleagues, Um, you know, my, my director of campaigns, Rita, she's working Right. She actually was working very hard on trying to work with uh, some Sweden folks, Swedish folks and Denmark folks to be able to do work over there and other ways to come up with regenerative energy needs. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that seems like it. that's the big argument. Right. Is like, well, fossil fuels work. So, you know, um, these other things don't. Then I, I've also I've heard like TED Talks where it's like, hey. You know, the energy it takes to make a lithium ion battery for electric car is also problematic. I just feel like, oh, my gosh, what do we do? But that being said, we're not the first group of people on the planet to have big challenges and have and be part of already established systems, right, that society is dependent on and then having them changed. I mean, we can look at, of course, you know, race-based child slavery and how America was dependent on that and how we, you know, thankfully outlawed that finally in, in Rome, et cetera. And so I do feel like, you know, while there are problems, I know that that humans stamping the Imago Day have an ingenuity about them to try and solve these problems without mm. like destroying <laughs> ourselves and each other and the planet. Does that make sense? I, I look, man, I'm 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 turning forty in two months, right? And and I'm trying 
to be optimistic like you. Like I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm trying to, it's so hard sometimes. Yeah, I get it, bro. Trying, I get it, man. I get I'm, it. I'm trying, like I, I, I take time. I try to pray. I take walks and I'm like, I'm really trying to get to this weird, like, like Zen Buddha, like zone out meditative, <laughs> sure. whatever. I, I probably lost about a half, half of your people. Like, oh, he's a whole hair, 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 hair. No, you're good. You're in good company. But I, I'm really trying to like get to that place where Jesus was like, where it's just like, okay, you know, this is, we're going to, we're going to go through some rough stuff and going to come out better on the other side. Right. But some days, man, it's like, it really is hard. Like that Imago Day thing. I, I believe in that. I believe in Imateo Day. Right. Right. But I don't know if all of our counterparts in humanity and those who are immersed with enormous power really, you know, like they have drunk the the dangerous deception Kool-Aid of this age. And I don't think they get like you're literally cutting not just yourself, but everybody else around you. And by the time we get a chance to stop you, it's almost I hate to say it, Jim Jones now, you know what I'm saying? In a long stretch, and before we realize, it's like, oh wow, we could have stopped this, but we did. Yeah, it really concerns me because, um, you know, again, I grew up very much in that in that world, and you're you're just kind of taught rugged individualism, and you know, you're not connected to anyone. You can you can work on your own. I'm just realizing, like, the universe is interconnected. Uh, we are interconnected. We are relational beings. In this myth that you know you just need yourself and maybe maybe a spouse, and you're good to roll. Uh, it, it, it doesn't, first off, it flies in the face of reality. Okay. If you are holding a phone, someone else made that phone that you were able to buy. Okay. So let's start there. But you know, I feel like that worldview is what allows people to disconnect themselves from their impact. Right. So, Oh, I just cut down a tree. No big deal. But like you said, well, that tree provided oxygen. It provides shelter. It helps from mass flooding to happen. So actually, your impact is actually connected to other people's lived reality. Whether you think that's true or not, it doesn't matter. That's just the impact. And like you said, it does concern me <coughs> to see, um, I mean, like you said, even in both sides, just this idea of, well, you know, we're just products of our own choices mostly. It's like, well, I mean, I'm not saying personal choice doesn't have a role to play, but to make it seem like that's 99.9% of the equation, I think is just completely misleading and not factual. Can we just deal with the fact that, Tim, like, we don't got another planet? Right, right. This is it. Like, I mean, I, I don't got to go no further than, like, like, I mean, I ain't trying to be extra, but, like, we don't have another planet. <laughs> right, right. There is nowhere else for, like, I don't care where you think you're going to go. <laughs> right. There is nowhere else for us to like, I, I want to like, I want you to get this. I'm from South Florida. That issue that took place at Surfside had been a conversation since I was a kid. They it, never did the inspections on the buildings or anything. And this is the scary part: the land is literally sinking, and they're still building on the seashore. Yeah, and we sitting there like, y'all not gonna stop. At right. All. And you're referring just so the audience knows to a story. Was it last year where uh, an apartment complex completely just collapsed? It just collapsed. It killed a lot of people. And what you're referring to is the fact that, like you said, your community knew about this for, for decades, right? Since you were a kid and no one ever addressed it. And now we had a real consequence. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah, that was literally the problem. Like these were the conversations around 
you know, because for folks who don't know, like South Beach is an island connected to the floor, to Florida. It's like a strait. Yes. So it's yes. it's a, it's off the side. So it's it's already uniquely different. It's not really a part of Peninsula. So if you go, you can. They have to sometimes go and put extra sand just so that the beach doesn't get eroded. Wow. So they're building these buildings still on that area, and those buildings, most of them were built back in the '60s and the '70s. Great, uh, kind of like great migration patterns or whatever that happened in South Florida, but they had never been checked properly. And so when that um, water main bust or whatever, you know, what I'm saying that weakened the ground because you're literally building on the sand. That's what you get, right? right? And and I'm and I nothing to do. It, and like I said, I got friends. I know the mayor down there. I, I, I pray for all of them, man. It was a horrible situation, but it right. made everybody's eyes open to like. So now here it is. We're here, like you know, in these areas, and we're making maybe not the same mistakes that they made, right, in that arena, but we're making very similar ones. Like right. you know, we the next global fight that most environmentalists and whatever talk about is going to be water issues. Like that's the next great conflict like you know theology aside you're gonna see some of the most visceral things because we're starting to see it now people fighting for control of water and how that looks like north carolina had to pass bills clean air now it's talking about possibly clean water because of how we treated the environment and people all are using the same like you said we your personal individual right could poison my water right i drink from that water too sir i use that water for bathing so right 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 Last question for you. You know, how does your how does your faith impact the work that you do? Um, I think it's important for people to hear that because a lot of the audience you're talking to, maybe not all, but a lot of them have only really heard of their faith being used to support uh, Trump, <laughs> frankly, and Christian nationalism and, you know, screw the environment and, uh, you know, uh, racism doesn't exist. I mean, I'm just being honest with you that, that that's how a lot of us were brought up. Right. Like it, it's not a thing anymore. But your faith is part of the Christian tradition, right? So how does it fuel you, fuel, fuel you to do the work that you do now? Yeah, I, I mean, it's important. I grew up evangelical, let's be clear. Like, <laughs> I grew up in that space. So I mm. grew I mean, of course, Black evangelicalism has its own thing, but... Sure. You know, you know so, but um, for me, right, it, you know, I I think about the Great Commission. I do. I, I, I prioritize it. I read it. One of my favorite letters is the letter that John wrote in the New Testament. Um, you know, and, and I, I, I love how he articulates, you know, those who are with us and not with us and, and so forth and, 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 and what we should be gathering said community. So I try to take as much as possible, you know, the gospel with me and everywhere I go. And I am of the opinion, I think you are as well. It doesn't matter how much of the Bible, you know, right. The textbook is how much you present, right. Like how, when I'm in those spaces and I'm talking to people, do you sense, feel, taste? Can you discern Christ in my life? Right. I'm not saying I'm, you know, I'm made, made push past the race, push past the male thing. Like, can you discern for real, for real that I'm here as a sent messenger, you know, or a vessel that Christ can use to be able to touch you? Right. And if you do, we're supposed to reason together, right? Like we, we have these texts about reason together. And so for me, I, I, I have a mind in Judaism. And so I, uh, I really loved when I took Judaism because it opened me up to the other side of the canon that right. I think sometimes we miss in New Testament theology. Yeah. And I didn't consider when you talk, listen to professors talk to you about these, they keep saying things like Aquarian society, you know what I'm saying? Uh, ancient Near East people. And then you start looking and you really reading, you like everything was connected. Everything that God gave either came from the land or it grazed upon it. 
Right. So how could I not, you know, be a if I'm going to be a steward? Right. How can right. I not be a better steward? Now, here's the great American exceptionalism. You know, the one thing we always we all advocate for American society. Right. Is, you know, the land. Right. Like you can own land. You can you know, you could be king of your castle and all those things. Right. Well, you want to pass that down. You would hopefully like to be able to see your grandchildren, grandchildren like Abraham. If you hold to that cannon, what happens if there, is, there isn't any land to pass down? Right. Right. And right. Kind of, you know, an, an alarmist here. But I'm just saying, like, you know, if we don't begin to have a more centralized, honest, I want to say moderate con- conversation around the gospel and its practicality. Yeah. Lose it. Like in, yeah. in, in even in race, even right. in gun violence, even in, you know, how we deal with our neighbors. Like, how can you sit over here and say, well, this is Republican Jesus or Democratic Jesus? No. One. Mm. Jesus. I don't I don't do that. <laughs> so right. that's right. how I carry it. I try to. I know I'm generally coming up against folks who really don't like there's a real disdain. And this is, I think, it's something for your viewers to know. There's a real disdain for Christendom out here. And and a lot of this falls on us. Mm-hmm. You know, like I like I said, when I saw y'all work and I was like, man, like it got to be this way. Unfortunately, we have to be the ones to deal with our internal house before we could say anything to anybody else out here. This That's is why right. I love the letter of Romans. Paul goes in on his people. He's like, mm-hmm. first chapter, I'm going to deal with these folks outside. Second chapter, I'm going to deal with the Jewish people. Third chapter, I'm going to deal with you Gentile Jews as well. Let's mm-hmm. get this right. Y'all is tripping. That's how it's supposed to be. But if we're not going to have those honest conversations like. What do we do? We have we burnt our witness. Right. Yeah. I mean, I tell people often that I, I see a lot of the work that I do as my own repentance from just being complicit. You know, it's like trying to make my own. I mean, a, a lot of my my wrongs were unintentional, but they still had impact. And so I'm trying to make those unintentional wrongs right. You know, and, and part of that is just by sounding the alarm and saying, you know, we have a problem. I mean, we have problems that we have to address. And, you know, we can go on um, for a long time just about some of those issues. But, you know, Denzel, I want to say I really appreciate you, you know, making time and coming on and just kind of sharing your story and the very important work that you're doing. And just it's work that I think goes unseen by like the general population. But it, it, it's almost kind of like how a sound guy is. Right. If a sound guy's doing his job, you don't really know he's there. But if something goes wrong, everyone's like, where's the sound guy? And I kind of feel that's a lot of your work is like if if, if you're trying to be that person that's like, listen, you don't want me to have to be in, in the public eye. Because if I am, we have a major problem on our hands, you know, exactly. and I'm trying to preserve what we have and, and trying to bring awareness to a reality that like. If this keeps going the way it's going, we're going to have major problems down the road. So I appreciate you making that time. Where can folks find you? Are, are you public anywhere? Are you on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera? Yeah, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, I was with the I was my stuff was listed with the Great Black Speakers Bureau. I think they took the page down. I don't know what happened over there. Um, but Twitter, I think it's D Burnside Three. I don't do a lot of Twitter because I just don't have time. Twitter's I feel that. very engaging. Um, it, I, Instagram, I think it's D Burnside three. Um, and then I think Facebook, I have a fan fan page or whatever. I probably got to do a little bit more or you can just check the dogwoodalliance.org page. That's where all my stuff, you know, if you want to email me or you got questions, um, or anything like that, that's kind of, that's where I'll be. That's where most of my stuff in terms of this work hangs out at. So awesome. Well, thanks for making time. It was great having you. Appreciate that brother. Appreciate that, man. You keep on doing what you're doing. If you need anything, if anybody I can connect you with to support, I love the movement. I really do. I love watching y'all videos. I get very educated from the work you do. And I'm going to keep you in prayer and your family, man, because I know what it feels like every day walking into a bunch of no's and I don't want to hear this. (laughs) It's sincerely appreciated. Thank you so much.